Hey, this is episode number 73 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. I'm here today live with my cousin, Mike Attrell. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing fantastic. It's bright and early on a Sunday morning, Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Doesn't get better. It's a perfect time to do a live show. It is. <laughs> At least we're not sleepy after eating all that turkey and, and potatoes. So That's true. It's a good thing we didn't do this tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we've got quite a number of tech and science stories. I think there's actually a good balance this week to discuss. Uh, why don't we jump right into follow-up? And I have, I put several things in here that are, again, sort of common topics on the show. And there was just a little news pieces about them this week that I thought would be interesting to add on to what, things you've discussed in the past. Uh, the first one that I saw here is uh, the new species that was discovered, Homo naledi. There was a follow-up paper to the one published a couple a month or two ago uh, about the discovery of their this new species in a cave in Africa, and so this new there I think believe it's actually two separate new papers uh, about the hand and the foot of this species, and I just thought it was cool. Uh, I'll, there'll be links to the to the papers in the notes, anyways. But uh, so they they found unique adaptations in these creatures that show kind of We've been looking as humans on our evolutionary path for this kind of missing link type of thing where we find characteristics that are both very simian, like very ape-like, and also human-like. And this new species shows, or the paper demonstrates that the new species shows that uh, Homo naledi was uniquely adapted for both tree climbing and walking upright, which is the kind of thing that we're looking for because uh, apes, uh, primates are... Primates that are not humans are very adept at tree climbing, or at least most of them are, but not necessarily for walking upright. And we are very adept at walking upright, but most of us are not very adept at tree climbing. And so it's interesting to see that this species has characteristics of both. I just thought it was a, like, I love this, the the rate that science gets to make these kinds of discoveries and gets to advance our knowledge of the evolutionary path of humans is is remarkable to me. Yeah. And I think it all the more reinforces that initial classification of the species as almost a transition, like a very transitional species. Like it has, like you say, characteristics of both. And, and yeah, it's cool that, like I was going to say, this is very impressive turnaround time on, on a follow-up paper. I'm assuming it wasn't done in conjunction, not conjunction, but uh, at the same time as the other one just yeah. released later, but it does sound like it was kind of a follow-up. And I think without the internet, you'd never see this kind of like pace of release when it comes to a new discovery, because yeah, for sure. you'd need to have it either, you know, published in a magazine and then, you know, passed around the office and kind of people working on it. But this one is like, it gets released online in a press release and already people are starting to do follow-up research on it. So, Yeah. Even things like peer review move way faster with the internet. Like there was the, the discovery of neutrinos that supposedly went faster than light. <laughs> and the, the researchers were like, we don't believe this result, but please prove us wrong. And they published all their findings and like people went and looked and eventually was discovered they had a cable loose somewhere. But like the the speed at which we can do things and the speed at which we can fact check the accuracy of, of papers is, is really awesome. Yeah. Uh, the next piece of follow up here is just, uh, 
it's, it's basically follow up to the the Google self driving cars that we've talked about how they they've been getting in accidents that aren't their fault, uh, getting rear ended while while being stationary, for instance, or most of the accidents happening at like one or two miles an hour, and it's not that car that's at fault. Uh, and so they've done some research, and this isn't necessarily super surprising, but basically the accidents are mostly caused by the driverless cars being too careful. They're they're too cautious and so-called this article says they're too good at driving i'm not sure that's necessarily the case because a, a very cautious driver you wouldn't necessarily consider them yeah. good at driving yeah but basically google engineers and anyone who's working on self-driving car algorithms is going to have to take into consideration that human drivers don't expect extra cautious behavior so like if you if a car sees a car coming towards them it doesn't necessarily mean that that car is going to stop. Sometimes a human driver is going to go anyways. They're because like th- there may be other c- considerations, like the other car might be in the other lane. So there's actually a free lane for you to drive into. And the human driver behind that self-driving car wouldn't necessarily expect them to, to stop and wait there. And so you end up getting things like those kind of rear end incidents where it, it, it is caused by the person who caused the accident is the car behind this driverless car. But if the if the driverless car had not been so cautious, there wouldn't have been an accident because there wouldn't have, they would have just gone. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the kind of thing where, say, winter driving is a good example of where it doesn't it's not necessarily best to be too cautious or, you know, following the rules exactly as they should be because a lot of the time the driving conditions don't allow for you to do that. Like say you know at a four-way stop if it's or just a stop sign i guess if there's no one in any of the other lanes coming up to you then and if you know you don't notice the stop sign in time and i guess that's kind of the human error there but the ice might be too slick to actually stop so you just kind of slowly go through the intersection while not actually stopping yeah but if the car in front of you like if the self-driving car in front of you was able to stop but doesn't see that you're coming behind it, then it might just stay there or something like it's, it's trying to follow its own rules, but yeah. not kind of having that mind of a human where it's like, okay, making a judgment call on actually breaking a rule. Like right. we had that one story where it encountered that cyclist and he was doing the track stand or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, he kept kind of not going. Um, And, you know, four way stops are a good example of that too, where sometimes people will just take the right of way even though they don't have it. Yeah. And that's that's not cautious at all driving. So a self-driving car would have to recognize that a driver is doing that kind of thing. So Yeah. I it's also worth pointing out that uh when it comes to self-driving cars, these have not been tested purposefully, not been tested at all in adverse conditions. Like they're they haven't been tested on ice or snow. So inevitably we probably will see accidents where a self-driving car just skids out on ice like obviously yeah. the, their anti-lock brakes will uh be engaging so they'll still have a better chance i think than a human driver at reacting because they're always going to react to the right way to icy conditions every time but they haven't faced them yet so they haven't i they haven't faced them on regular roads they've probably been facing them in simulations or in test environments but yeah it'll be interesting to see how they hold up to yeah. all kinds of weather conditions yeah and i'd wonder too about wildlife like if a yeah. rabbit jumped in front of it if it would recognize it's just a rabbit so it's okay to go run over well 
even something like a moose where you're supposed to not swerve out of the way. Whether yeah, it well, actually do that. I can't remember what it is. I think with, yeah, I think with moose still you're supposed to just run it over. Like you're supposed to hit it, not like not like speed up necessarily, but <laughs> right. But yeah, don't I think swerve just, to try to avoid it. Yeah, wildlife in general, you're just supposed to kind of let yourself hit it. Yeah, unless you see it coming in enough time, obviously. To, yeah, <laughs> not advocating right <laughs> wildlife endangerment. You're not trying to hunt the wildlife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so finally, in more car news, uh, this I found just last night. I just thought it was pretty interesting. Um, reports have come out. So we had this old diesel fiasco with VW that they were cheating on their emissions tests and emitting like tens or even like 30, up to 30 times more nitrous oxides than is allowed by the EPA and by even European regulations. Uh, and it, so it turns out that Volkswagen isn't the only company that isn't necessarily doing as well on emissions tests as the tests are necessarily necessarily showing because I believe that you have to pass the test in order to actually get the cars on the road. Yeah. But uh, they're now saying that uh, cars made by Honda, diesel cars made by Honda, Mazda, Mercedes-Benz, and Mitsubishi are all also emitting too much uh, nitrous oxides. And Mm. so it's not a unique problem. It's been well known that diesel is not as necessarily as clean a gasoline or a gas as gasoline is, but it gets you better mileage, and so people really like it. And so when when people started talking about clean diesel, everyone was like, wow, so you can get diesel, which is good for fuel mileage, and it's clean. We should all be doing that. But it turns out that it's not necessarily that simple. As as cynical people would have guessed, been like, well, yeah, you're calling it clean diesel, but what does that mean? Is, that, is it necessarily clean? And, and no, it turns out it's not necessarily as clean as we've been led to believe. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it goes back to we were talking about how chances are everyone is doing some sort of circumvention or cheating or cutting of corners when it comes to the testing. And VW is just the one that got caught first. Yeah. And yeah, this is, I think this is going to turn into a whole closer inquiry of everyone and it's going to show the, the ugly side of, of auto manufacturing and how these regulations they're set up, but they're not actually being put into practice on the road. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And maybe this will kill diesel as a fuel, not an alternative fuel, but as a fuel source, uh, which in my perception could lead to electric cars, maybe becoming more of a thing as people want alternatives to gasoline powered cars. Yeah. The thing with diesel though, is it's going to still be widely used in transportation, like trucking. Um, because for that you do need that fuel mileage and I think it actually gives extra like twerky engines as well I'd imagine because it is using heavier equipment where where you need that extra horsepower so I don't think you're going to see it go there because and those ones they never were put in there because of its efficiency it was for their actual usage for heavy heavy hauling type stuff yeah but yeah for people who would possibly get it because it's a you know, quote unquote, cleaner fuel alternative. Um, then I think, yeah, you might see less of that. Maybe even yeah. just on a psychological perception basis versus any actual reason to, but still a reduction in that nonetheless. Right. 
All right. Well, that's it for follow-up. Uh, I want to get right to your first story because this is such a cool thing. Why don't you tell me uh, what is passing through me right now millions of units at a time per second? <laughs> well, a lot of different things are, but uh, maybe not passing through you, but at least penetrating you. But uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as things passing through us, uh, you have neutrinos, which I'm sure many of us have heard of in our physics 30 class or or otherwise many uh, of us articles yeah. that, what's that many of us have probably heard of neutrinos yeah i imagine I if so. you pull people it's on the street kind of one of those fundamental particles that everyone <laughs> is kind of familiar with yeah and the nobel prize prizes i guess for that matter were handed out this past week or two for various different fields and the physics one specifically was given to two groups actually and uh they actually did this work separately, but they kind of came to the same conclusion and in, they together were able to demonstrate that neutrinos uh, change their form as they travel. And this is kind of more proving a bigger picture uh, theory or hypothesis that neutrinos have mass because the the idea is that if they, 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 they proved it by showing that they how how would you say it? They proved it by uh, contradiction, saying okay. that because neutrinos are able to change their form, they wouldn't be able to travel at light speed. And anything with mass can't travel at light speed. Sure. Therefore, neutrinos have mass. So mm. it's, it's, it's half philosophical, <laughs> half... That's kind of cool. Yeah. And one of the other cool parts of this story is that uh, a Canadian group, the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory collaboration at Queen's University in Kingston. So represent Rob. Yeah. Um, Wait. <laughs> I didn't. From, I didn't go there. <laughs> I thought you were born in Kingston. No, I was born in Scarborough. Oh, never mind then. Represent Ontario then, I guess. Yeah, that's um, what I thought you meant. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the other group was the Super. Kamio Kande collaboration at the mm. University of Tokyo. So both of them were awarded this prize for, for separately, but together showing that neutrinos change their form as they travel. Uh, because if they were traveling at light speed, time would stand still and any change would be impossible. Mm -hmm. That's what uh, the science, the article in Science, the journal, uh, described. So it, it's kind of cool. I thought it was interesting that this conclusion was come about indirectly like it was, it was very like okay so if they did travel at light speed they couldn't have mass and couldn't change their form but because we've seen they change their form they don't travel at light speed right and they must have mass and I they guess. must have mass yeah, yeah. so hmm. i don't know i think that's cool i want to use this the reason that i i was vehement not vehement i guess you didn't really protest but that I really wanted to have the story first is because a, a Canadian won a Nobel Prize. Oh, no, I, that was the first thing I yeah, noticed too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't necessarily happen often even. Uh, and I just, it this kind of dovetails nicely because as of Friday, I'm no longer a public servant. And so I'm no longer beholden to not, and not that I've necessarily pulled punches in the past talking <laughs> politics and, <laughs> and speaking the way I feel, but, um, 
I don't want this to be the last Nobel Prize a Canadian ever wins. And the whole pure science debate going on with the election happening next week in Canada, uh, I think it's more important than ever to just reiterate that um, the conservative government has been doing terrible things to Canadian scientists, especially pure scientists like this. And um, yeah, just it's, it's terrible. And I want to keep seeing things like this, seeing a Canadian scientist in the news, especially a physicist, like that's not necessarily the sexiest subject. You tend to get like biology papers that people can kind of understand, whereas neutrinos are like, who understands neutrinos? But when it wins a Nobel Prize, suddenly everyone covers it. And that means more money, more research money for them to continue their work. And these these things have never, like fundamental research like this, big discoveries like that, have never not ended up having commercial impacts later on. It may take years or even decades, but it you have to keep trying things. You have to keep trying new things, not just trying to make money off the things we already have. I just think it's so fundamental to science that you have to fund pure science as much as you fund commercial science. Yeah. We should post the link to that ASAP science video. Yes, we should. Um, that was a very good video. And it's it's nice and short. I was worried it would be very long, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, a five, six minute video that it it starts out talking about kind of the American side of things because that's mm-hmm. what most people are familiar with, at least worldwide. Yeah. But then it talks about the Canadian election. I didn't realize that. Um, who does ASAP science? What's his name? Uh, Mitch Moffat and Greg. Oh man, I'm blanking on his name now. It's yeah. Anyways, okay. Mitch and Greg. Yeah. They're, so I didn't realize they were Canadian. Yeah. They're from Toronto. So that's cool. And, uh, yeah, they talked about, yeah, basically using your vote for science. It, it wasn't, I wouldn't call it a partisan video. Like it was, but it wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't partisan, but it was like, it was intentionally way, one, one but, group is not. Yeah. But it's it's hard not to talk about it without being partisan. Yeah. But he wasn't saying vote for X party. It just says keep this in mind. Yeah. When you're voting. Yeah. It's like you know the right thing to do <laughs> or the or the thing to not do, I guess. Um I just uh, wanted to mention the yeah. names of the 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 main the leads for the team. Obviously Many, many people go into this research, but the people recognized in the Nobel Prize for this case was uh, Takaki Kajita for the Tokyo group and Arthur B. MacDonald for the Canadian group in Sudbury. Yeah. Or in uh, Kingston, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and and I just want to point out, uh, Greg's last name is Brown, and that's okay. why I couldn't remember it because it's just a word. It's not, <laughs> it's not unique at all. <laughs> But if you if you're not subscribed to ASAP Science and you and you watch or listen to this show, then uh, what is wrong with you? Because they're they have a really great channel. They have one called ASAP Science where they do science videos every week, and they have one called ASAP Thought where they kind of go into more psychology of science. Uh, the videos they do every week tend to kind of bind together nicely, but very they're very uh, good science communicators. They just if you follow, they also do a vlog on ASAP thought and they just got a big new office space. So they're looking forward to making a bunch of new, much more intense videos than they couldn't like sort of their, I guess they had an upstairs like attic type of thing where they recorded all their stuff. I, f- I followed them quite closely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, science in Canada, um, maybe think very strongly about science. Even if you're not a scientist, think very strongly about 
pure science research yeah. in Canada when you go to the polls next week. Yeah. The 19th, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're doing early voting they are, this yeah. weekend. Yeah. I don't know if it's all next week, too. I think just this weekend. Just this weekend. The yeah. 12th and is the last the 19th, day. Yeah. The 19th will be official election day. Yeah. The fact that they're doing advanced voting on Thanksgiving, like that's dedication right there. Yeah, it is. If you want to go get your vote in early, probably do it on Thanksgiving Sunday because apparently it was really busy yesterday. All the polling stations, people trying to get out and, mm. and everyone was saying this is not this is kind of discrimination. But um, people were saying that uh, there were a lot of old people out voting yesterday. And so, like, get to the polls, young people, because um, we may think differently about <laughs> certain priorities and right. uh Older people, it's been shown, tend to vote more conservative. And so if you if you don't want a conservative government, young people need to get out there and actually vote. And even if you do, you should still vote. If Even if you're going to vote conservative as yeah. a young person, do it by all means. I'm not – but be democratic and, and go do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, enough science stuff. Let's talk some tech. Yes. Microsoft had a big announcement this week, and you are so excited to talk about it. I am very am I, excited. Obviously. <laughs> I was I was so disappointed in the Android one that I thought this one would be like, eh, eh. And then I saw it and I was like, ah, yeah. I'll let, I'll let you get into it and I'll give my two cents. All right. So the first thing that I want to talk about, I guess, is the fact that this struck me watching it as a very, very Apple-y keynote. It's very polished. It was it was very polished. They focused a lot on hardware that they make. Microsoft makes themselves with software. There was no there was no mention of any other devices where there would normally be like, oh, we have Windows new Windows phones launching from whatever manufacturer. Not, these are Microsoft Lumia devices. They announced a tablet and then they announced a laptop. And they even had a one more thing, which was probably better than any of the last five years of apple one more things that they've pulled out because they ran they did went through a whole demo uh press video for a laptop and at the, at the end they're like hey let's watch that video again and it just kept going and the one more thing was that this amazing laptop can turn into a tablet <laughs> it's like this super powerful laptop and they're like oh yeah by the way you can just rip it in half and you're just the top half <laughs> i love that i i was so yeah. blown away that when they did that yeah when the presentation, the delivery of it was the polar opposite of the Android one. Yeah. Like, and I had never seen the guy who was doing the the, the Surface book. I'd never seen him before. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was significant to the executive team at Microsoft or just a guy presenting, but. No, he's pretty significant. Okay. Yeah. I, I figured. But he, he was very, I couldn't tell that he was reading off of any sort of screen. Yeah, he paced himself. It was very intentional delivery of the presentation. So, yeah, I was very happy to see that, especially coming from Microsoft. I think this put them back into like, I'd say, two A and two B between Android and or Google and Microsoft mm -hmm. right now, as far as tech hardware goes. Uh, Apple obviously being number one still uh, for desirability and performance, but yeah. I think Microsoft is definitely giving them a run for the money and are definitely as relevant as Google yeah. for their contributions yeah, to that sure. space. So the the other thing they did that was very Apple-y, like this struck me in the best possible way. This it was very Apple-y event. 
they had a, this Steve Jobsian script breaking where the guy was like, oh, they told me not to do this, but like, I'm just going to go hand these out. Just like, go hold this device. <laughs> just well, like was, wandering into the crowd. It was potentially scripted script breaking. Maybe, but I, I feel like yeah. he was like, apparently they they were told, people were told that the press, uh, it was going to be a 90 minute event. And he's like at like 85 minutes or so. That was when he did that. And he's like, we might go long, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I have a feeling that it, maybe he had it in mind, but right. I don't think it was necessarily approved that he was going to do it. Although I'm sure that they're fine with it the way it turned right. out. But yeah. Uh, the other thing that really struck me as being like the very polished, like when I say Apple, I mean a very good tech presentation. Yeah. There's a lot of Samsung presentations that don't really hit the mark on that front. Um, even Apple has missed the mark on some of them. So when I say Apple, I mean like the best possible type of tech presentation. They, their laptop that comes with a pen, the pen just magnets onto the device. They, they considered even more than Apple did when they made their stylus. The Apple stylus doesn't like, it just sits there. It's just, I was wondering where you're supposed to put the Apple one. There's nowhere. Yeah. There's literally (laughs) like, it doesn't magnet to anything. It doesn't. Doesn't slide into anything, anywhere. yeah. Yeah, it is the thing to get lost. But the Microsoft <laughs> one, like, just clips to the side by magnets. Like, it's not going to fall off, but it's right there when you need it. It it is a very expensive laptop. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, especially if you're in Canada dealing with what, like, a thirty percent, thirty five percent exchange rate now. Um, Daniel Bader from Mobile Syrup was tweeting about the prices. Uh, so the base model, which is it's a fine laptop. I'm not going to, don't get me wrong. Like it's 128 gig solid state drive, uh, i5 processor, eight gigs of RAM. But if you go up to their high end one, which is a half terabyte hard drive, i7, 16 gigabytes, and the, the separate GPU, like, uh, the GPU in the, the actual keyboard. Oh, that one's device. not standard. No. Oh no. So <laughs> it starts at 1500. Oh, Canadian. see, I saw uh, what was the first one? 13. 13 what what was the base model price 14.99 yeah let me let me make sure i think i think i saw that and i was like oh that's not bad for what it can do but if that doesn't come with the second gpu then that's not ideal i might have been oh oh interesting i don't actually know it's unclear to me i tried to go to the canadian site and it redirected me back to the u.s site so but anyways, so he, the model he was looking at, the, the high-end model, was $3,500. Oh, wow. So that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Even, uh, even if you have uh, the base model is still very expensive. Okay, yeah. The, so the base model in Canada is $1,949. That's, uh, that's why the other one is so expensive. Yeah, $3,500 for the top end. Mm. Almost $2,000 for the low end. That's a that's a very expensive laptop, very powerful, very nice laptop for sure. Yeah. But uh, it's a quite a step up from the MacBook Air or even the Retina uh, MacBook Pro is cheaper than that. Yeah. So there won't be too many people that are willing to fork up that kind of money for a Windows laptop, just because I mean, that may change in the future. But right now, as of today, I don't think that's really gonna be tempting for many people. Yeah. Unless you're like a top level executive who wants it as a status symbol. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
so did anything uh, so the last i guess before before we go into the actual hardware announcements um you were you were saying oh you know like mac has their macbook line this is called the surface book but it's styled differently i just want to point out like that is a deliberate thing on microsoft's point like they're <laughs> the reason it's called the surface book is because mac apple laptops are called macbooks that's I just found it so funny that that's the name they chose to go with. Yeah. Well, I think just the camel case is an Apple thing. Yeah. I guess Asus does that with their Zenfone and phone mm-hmm. pad and that type thing. But yeah. Yeah. They are, no, I, I know they're trying to distinguish themselves and that's why, you know, we've talked about, you know, the six capital S versus six lowercase S. So yeah, I, I don't want people to start thinking it's surface book camel case when it's not. Right. <laughs> no, I and to be honest, when I first saw it in the presentation, I I remembered it as being camel case, but clearly it's not. Clearly there's a space. Yeah. Um but yeah, I found the naming is interesting. Mhm. Trying to capitalize off of an existing genre of laptop that's very popular. Well, I don't know if they capitalizing on it just notebooks like mac the mac didn't wasn't the first notebook they were always called notebooks they were called notebooks but nobody ever called it the something book i don't know maybe at least nobody no one popular and successful like maybe that will become a thing yeah for laptops to become something book but yeah. right now up until the service book launched it was an apple thing so are you saying do you think the ipad was capitalizing on the thinkpad I think it was definitely like uh, inspired it because we talked to we I say we when I mean other people that I listen to uh, were talking about possible names for the iPad when it first came out and nobody nobody really thought iPad is a viable name whereas now you couldn't really like you couldn't forget that that was yeah. a really good idea. Yeah. Well, people but, will see another tablet and be like, yeah. "Oh, you have an iPad." There's there's no way the ThinkPad. Is that now Lenovo or is that even a separate that's, company? That's now? IBM. I think it's Lenovo owns it now. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's been passed around quite a bit, but that like the ThinkPad is, that's a, that's like 20 years in the making yeah. kind of name. Yeah. There's no way that Apple wasn't aware that calling something an iPad would make people think of ThinkPad. Yeah. But anyways, uh, do you want to talk about the actual what was the most exciting let's say what was the most exciting hardware thing you saw i was impressed by the surface book Mm -hmm. i was more impressed when i thought that the double processor or the second gpu was still functioning when you separated the screen yeah um but i think it's still a very slick piece of hardware and definitely competes with the apple products and they've obviously priced it in a premium way so that they aren't underselling themselves yep um i was looking forward and i was excited to see the new windows phones released or announced anyway Mm. uh, the new new lumia devices and i was i don't know i've always been rooting for underdogs to kind of (laughs) prove their worth and windows hasn't really had a true front runner in that space i think like nokia their original lumias i think were kind of always the most popular if not the only windows phones kind of being sold yeah. 
but they were never talked about as you know a device to get i think they're they usually had a good good camera but from a user experience it was never anything to write home about right but microsoft has taken their windows 10 platform and made it so that when you get a windows phone you get a lot of functionality with it um with their continuum uh, system that you can plug the phone you know using various ports and hubs into a monitor and use it as essentially a desktop computer i think that's really cool yeah and i'm hoping that the windows 10 mobile version i guess it's all just windows 10 but i'm hoping that it is functional enough that someone coming from something like ios or android will still find it usable even yeah. if it's different that they're not feeling that is lacking and that they're not able to use it to the same capacity or same extent that they were with their previous phone. So I'm hoping that my next phone will be a windows phone. Oh yeah. But right now there's only like these two Lumias and then the, uh, the Acer phone that was announced at IFA. Right. Um, I can't, it's like a Jade something or other. Can't remember Jade phone, I think, head. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And so though, and that, that one is a bit more of a lower end phone, like an entry level phone, but these two Lumias, they seem to be kind of more competing with the Nexus devices in a price point and functionality sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm hoping that kind of when it's time, when I'm in the market for a new phone, then you'll see at least these two, if not a couple more, whether they're from Microsoft directly or not, that's not really an issue for me. Just that as mm-hmm. long as they're using that Windows 10 platform and have the continuum capability, I think that'd be yeah. good. The, I think it's really short-sighted and I don't even understand why Canadian carriers are not going to be carrying the Microsoft phones, the Lumias. I didn't even realize ones. they weren't. Yeah, none of them have, they've all said, eh, no, not right now, maybe later. Mm-hmm. But so they're being sold directly through the Microsoft Store if once, okay. once they're available. I don't, I don't think that's yet. I think it's in October, late October sometime. Oh, then I don't care because as long as I can get them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but none of them are – they're all passing. These are companies that are like, yeah, we'll take your new BlackBerry <laughs> like with the keyboard. <laughs> but they're not – these are super powerful. These are like the Google Play edition yeah. of uh, smartphones. And I guess – I guess in that sense, it does make a little bit of sense, like at least continually that they pass, like they don't carry or they don't like to carry. They've started doing it, but they don't like carrying unlocked Nexus phones either. Right. So it makes sense. They wouldn't want to carry these unlocked, yeah. like sort of made for, made by Microsoft for Microsoft yeah. uh, devices either. But I think that, I hope that, these good devices, like these are very strong phones. Like I would love to have one of these too. If it meant that I didn't have to carry around uh, a laptop, like this seems like the ultimate, that Motorola Atrix we've talked about a really long time ago that docks into a a little laptop body. That would be awesome to have one, like have one of those docks for for a phone like this to be able to just bring it with you. It's like a shell, but you only need the one phone. To have this powerful thing that is that has apps that can switch between desktop and mobile, uh, I think that would be an awesome non-compromise to have. Yeah. 
On the Surface Book, you mentioned that you didn't like the GPU, the discrete GPU being in the base of the computer and not in the laptop or in the tablet part. Well, my initial confusion was like people were talking about this computer being comparable to a MacBook. Yeah. And I said, well, is it really though? Like it's maybe more comparable to the iPad Pro because it's essentially a tablet with a keyboard. And then that's where you corrected me and said, well, no, there are actually parts contributing to the performance of the computer stored inside the keyboard. Yeah. So it can function as a tablet, but it really performs when it's the laptop version. Right. Um, so the graphics, it's not that the graphics are bad in the Oh, no, part. I didn't. Yeah. It's just but processing power. Yeah. There, you yeah. can use it. And it was one of the things they demonstrated. You can use it as a tablet with the back end part on it it'll flip down and that's true face up but so the gpu is in there but also apparently the tablet part alone only gets about four hours of battery life whereas there's a bunch more battery in the actual base Hmm. the base is all gpu and battery right Hmm. so yeah it's interesting i don't know how how heavy is it together we, uh that's a good question i'll look it up but it okay i think it's less than two pounds uh no nope, because i'm thinking like if it's not too much of a pain to use with the keyboard attached to it even in you know rotated yeah. you know slate mode or whatever you want to call it then that should still be fine too yeah like as long as i imagine there's a way to fold it so that the keys aren't exposed below you that you're just essentially just holding it like it's just a really thick tablet right it uh it's 3.34 pounds okay so that's pretty heavy the tablet well this for a, for a laptop a powerful laptop a laptop this powerful at least it's not super heavy it's like half the weight of what they used to be a few years ago at right. this power yeah but uh yeah you can flip the screen around so that it's not like one of those ones where you flip it around and you have the keys like the keyboard is sitting on your lap yeah. You would flip the screen around and lay it flat. Okay, cool. Yeah. But I do like this. They they say here on the press page, because that's where I am right now, it says this is the future of laptop computing. And I actually completely agree with them. Having yeah. something that has fewer compromises than any tablet Apple has made or any laptop that Apple has made, but it does both. Yeah. It's interesting. I'll note that Maria, for her work, she needs to use a laptop type device to take notes and stuff while she's out. And she's, it's, it's kind of a, she's not set in one location. So she's usually off location type stuff doing, taking notes. So at first she was using a netbook, which I had purchased for her prior to any sort of tablet being released ever. Mm-hmm. So that was a, kind of a poor investment, but uh, so she was using that for a bit and then she got just got back into work recently. Now she started using a the Nexus Seven that I got for her. Yeah, and that one was working fine, but she found like it's not a three G version of the Nexus Seven. Right. So it's the it's the first gen, which is a Wi Fi only, and she found that if she didn't have wasn't an access to Wi Fi, then she was very limited on you know being able to sync her Google documents or go online or that kind of thing like she had her phone with her but ideally she could do it right on the same device so we ended up uh upgrading her phone to the note 4 which has the 5.7 inch screen yeah 
and we had we got her a Bluetooth keyboard to use with the Nexus Seven, so she just uses the keyboard with a note, and the screen's big enough that she can still actually type on it and use it as just her phone would be, and it has that four G connection, obviously, with that it would normally have. Right. Um. So I think, I guess, where I'm going with this is that people want a device that can do everything and that's versatile because you don't want to have to have you know a laptop and a tablet and a phone and a desktop yeah you want something that can do everything and it sounds like this type device could possibly do that that microsoft is is releasing it's obviously fairly large to replace a phone (laughs) (laughs) because they're probably not going to do that but i i think if you can at least have a phone then this then that's that would cover pretty much everything cover it yeah Did you Sweet. want to talk about HoloLens at all? I I, I missed this part. Like I I wasn't watching. I just was watching Twitter and right the blogs. But so you haven't seen any of the video of what it actually no. looked like in the demo. No, I only saw the prior demos. It's it was very interesting. Although the limitations that they had that had been addressed previously still exist. Basically, what they had was they were showing off a new game that was coming to it and they announced a developer kit. Okay. And so the the game they announced or they were demoing was kind of like a augmented reality first person shooter, which is probably the best way to demo a platform like this. So basically the guy had a controller in his hand that was vaguely I guess I want to call it gun shaped, it was more like handle shaped yeah like gun yeah i kind shaped. of i know what you mean yeah and with like a trigger on it yeah, yeah yeah well buttons several buttons probably okay but and so the way they demo this technology is really the best part about it. it it demos super super well what they had was enemies appearing out of i guess thin air out of the environment and he was able to literally like physically turn around see them and blow them up he had like a tractor beam so he was able to draw them in towards him but they had obviously this demo was very well set up they'd have to map whatever room you're in very well before you're able to actually play a game like this at least with the current technology but they were able to have like portals appear on your actual wall or on the wall of the the demo area and enemies like come out of that portal uh they were able to demonstrate like using a tractor beam to pull one of the little alien ships in towards him and then he turned and shot that alien ship at another one they both blew up it was a pretty awesome demonstration but the reason that the demonstration works so well is because you're seeing it in high def from a from sort of a third person perspective apparently when you're actually wearing the hololens you're only seeing the augmented stuff in a very narrow right field which we talked about before Yeah, yeah 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 and so until they can address that shortcoming to actually give you your normal field of view or at least a reasonable percentage of your normal field of view. I don't know how good it can be. And I'm sure we will get to that point, but right now it it's very limited scope, for, especially for something like that, where you'd want your entire field of view to be yeah. taken up. It's, you don't want to be looking through it like a little portal at your world mm-hmm. trying to see, cause then it's almost worse than an actual video game. Yeah. But watching it happen, it was very cool. Like even the, they even augmented the actual gun thing that he had based on whatever it was so like it would physically change in his hand like if you looked at it it would physically the gun would physically change based on what he was doing 
Right. So the augmented reality aspect of it looks really amazing, but so far the, the limiting factor is just the technology of being able to actually wear something that powerful on your head and have right. it not take up a bunch of your field of view with plastic and metal and whatever is on the head. Yeah. I think from a gaming perspective, it's fairly decided that the Oculus Rift is the leader in what you'd want. Like they're it's built for gaming. Yeah. Everything else is kind of a bonus. Whereas the HoloLens, I think it has a lot more promise in being a tool like that you'd put on if you want to get stuff done or yep. if you just want to wear and have notifications right there or have a movie there while you're making dinner or whatever. Yeah. But I hope they don't try to make it a gaming system. Like unless I think, it gets a lot better. Well, even then, like say like with phones, phones aren't meant to be gaming systems. They mm-hmm. can play games. They're powerful enough to play games. Yeah. You can do it to pass the time, but you don't buy a phone for its gaming capability. Or at least no, you shouldn't. That's true. I don't think you should. Um, but yeah, I, I hope they're not trying to compete with something like the Oculus, which is virtual reality, which right. is it's kind of yeah, a lot more capability to make immersive and high performing. Yeah. For sure. All right. Anything else you want to say about Microsoft? Uh, just welcome, welcome (laughs) into the club. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, okay. The next story I have here, I just wanted to mention briefly, I saw this story come up and it made me a little terrified for myself. Um, there are a number of people. So the story is about Verizon, um, adding money to their grandfather, grandfathered customers who have unlimited data plans. So there are a few different companies that have that still offer unlimited data plans to old customers. The AT&T still has one. Verizon has one. Sprint has one. I think they might even still, Sprint might still offer one, but they're very discouraging of people being on it because it's very expensive uh, for them to actually have it. But so Verizon, if you're not on a contract with Verizon, but you have an unlimited grandfathered unlimited plan, it's going to start costing $20 more per month. If if you're still under contract, obviously you'll be able to keep that until the end of the contract, at which point it will go up. But this makes me scared because I am on a grandfathered unlimited plan and it's such a good deal. I would keep it even if I had to pay $20 more. Right. I, I don't know if you've seen, but um, Rogers announced the biggest smartphone data plan I've ever seen in Canada. 60 gigabyte share everything. Oh, wow. And... I don't know about you, but I don't want my Spotify bundled in. I don't necessarily, like, I'd love to be able to turn on Roam Like Home, like the roaming around the world. Uh, I don't necessarily want NHL Game Center bundled in. They're bundling all these things, and we've talked about this before, bundling everything in and charging way more. So the 60 gigabyte plan is like $375 or $350. (laughs) Right. It's just... That's too much. It's almost double their $30 plan cost. And yeah. it just, if you want people to, like, I think, I almost think we should dedicate a whole episode to talking about this. If you want your plans to make money, you want people to use more data, but making it that expensive, it, like, it's prohibitively expensive. I didn't, I, we were talking on Twitter earlier. My plan, my monthly plan ended yesterday. 
and I was trying to get to 50 gigabytes of mobile data usage <laughs> in a month. I didn't before the plan reset. And so now it just showed when I last looked at it yesterday, it showed zero kilobytes because it had reset the month. I didn't see, I'm not going to be able to see until my plan or my bill comes in on the right. 14th or 15th, how, whether I actually hit the 50 or not. But last I saw, I was at like 49 point something. Oh, and so you probably still made it a day or so left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I would want, if I was a company like this, I would want people using more data. I would want people to put money in to be able to invest and build new towers. But what they're doing is making people use less data unless it's on a service they're partnered with. So something like Spotify, something like NHL Game Center, which I guess Rogers is heavily invested in the NHL Game Center. Uh, things like Show Me, uh, all of these services that they're partnered with they're fine if you use th- their data for that that's included but you can't you can't just surf the internet unlimited without it costing you an arm and a leg if unless you're at home yeah i just i really hate it there was this commercial and it really irks me because now i'm sit- now i i don't torrent any tv i don't watch any cable other than sports and I, so i see these ads now when i watch like the late show or when i watch uh the new daily show with Trevor Noah. I see the commercials now and there's the, a commercial for, they've started putting LTE or mobile hotspots in cars now. Right. And there's this woman, she's like, she, she's talking about the car and it's so obviously scripted or like they pulled out this one audio clip of a longer questioning period. Mm-hmm. But she's like, wow, that's the dream. Wi-Fi in your car. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's not a dream. Who dreams of that? You don't like. Why would you want to pay for an extra cell connection in your car? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Well, the whole thing is to be able to have something like a Wi-Fi tablet or a computer be able to be used in the car that wouldn't have a cellular connection. Yeah, I can. I can see the value of having Wi-Fi in your car. Don't get me wrong. I can see the value I, of having internet in your car. But well, not an extra car cell connection. No, no, I, I agree. But Use your phone as a hotspot. If your plan allows it, which ours that, that's, doesn't. That's what I mean. Like, that's the future I want is that yeah. we don't need a car cell connection because you have one cell phone and you just plug yeah. it in and it's a hotspot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind paying for internet. I just, the amount they're charging right now is prohibitively ridiculous. Prohibitively ridiculous? It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how dumb that sounds. It's accurate. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, anyways, Fido Rogers, uh, if you're listening, please don't add money to my, I still have like a, almost a year on my plan because I re-signed. Did you? Oh, for your home internet. Last, no, no, no. My, my mobile internet last summer, they offered me like 200 bucks off a Nexus phone and I had a bunch of Fido dollars. And so I bought one and they, they just renewed my plan. So I'm still on contract for another year. It was July. It was actually my birthday. Uh, so last July uh, 2014 was when I renewed. So I still have like eight or nine more months, but like I'm paying 40 bucks a month. So I'm not concerned, but I'm really hoping that when that plan ends, when they come calling again, because they inevitably will, that uh, they won't be like, oh, by the way, now it's more just out of nowhere for no reason. So they did let you keep your. They wanted me browsing? to keep my plan. They were like, sign, resign. We'll even give you money. Like. Yeah, they were. See, they've never come to me for that. It took a while. It took several years of being off the contract. I've been with them for seven years. 
How much of it has been contracted? Three. It, that phone call may be coming. I would say talk to them because they may just they may what they'll do they won't they won't say hey, do you want to renew your plan? They'll say we have this phone. Do you want to get it? And so what I ended up doing was using my Fido dollars and got the phone, or they gave me a fifty dollar credit or something too. And they I ended up getting the Nexus phone for yeah. like sixty bucks. Right. After the discounts were all applied. And so I was like, I'm fine with that because I ended up selling it for like three hundred. So it it was actually a net profit for me because I yeah. applied the fighter dollars to it and yeah. I had like four years worth. But well, see, uh, I, yeah. I use my FIDO dollars to buy to put towards Maria's phone because I wasn't planning on buying a phone anytime soon. Right. And I I know I talked I mentioned this to you guys. But they charged a $25 administration fee yeah. to give me the privilege of using my FIDO dollars to buy this phone off uh, contract. So dumb. Oh, and man. I'm like, and I asked the guy at the FIDO booth, and it was more of a rhetorical question, but it was like, I was like, what's that going towards? What, like, what admin, what administration is happening that requires this $25 fee if I use my FIDO dollars versus if I just paid for it cash? And he's like, oh, that's just what they charge. It's like. Because they can. Yeah. It's like, it's, he, he, he literally said, that's what my cash register is showing me as the charge. Right. Okay. So in that situation, because we're in kind of a unique situation where we don't need them. We don't need any individual salesperson. If right. they said, oh yeah, by the way, there's a, there's a $25 administrative fee. I'd be like, all right, well, uh, I'm going to go away now. <laughs> And maybe I'll come back later. Maybe I won't. <laughs> but I'm definitely not <laughs> buying from you right now. <laughs> but see, in this case, like this phone isn't sold anywhere else other than through a carrier. Right. And especially because it's just an older gen because the Note 5 is out now. So this is the Note 4. So a lot of places, even if they could carry it, they wouldn't. Like yeah. Best Buy probably wouldn't have it. Um, so this was directly through like a Fido booth. Yeah. So yeah, it was one of the few places and it's like, well, like... I still want to use my federal dollars, so I guess that's just what it costs. But it's it's ridiculous that they're able to charge twenty five dollars in out of the federal dollars you've already earned. Yeah. So it's like, I don't understand it. But we'll give you these rewards, but you have to apply them to administrative fees. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, Fido Rogers, don't don't do that next year, please. Anyways, on to the next story. You have a story here that I did not see, or at least I didn't glom onto if I did see it. Why don't you yeah. tell me about liquid crystals and Alzheimer's? This was, I don't even remember how I ended up following these guys on Twitter, this Oximity page. But they posted this story about LCD, like liquid crystals, being able to detect Alzheimer's. I was like, that sounds just crazy enough to work. So I, <laughs> I looked into it more. So it sounds like, or I guess based on the article, the way they do it is they'll have various liquids, like layers of liquids. And so you take a sample of whatever you're testing to see if there's Alzheimer's in it, I guess, whatever, like blood sample or I don't know what you use to test it, but right, whatever you're, you're looking for Alzheimer's in, you put that on top of this other liquid and then there's like a film like a, a layer of liquid crystals on on the very top 
and the liquid crystals will prevent light from going through. Mm -hmm. But when there's Alzheimer's present, the liquid crystals align differently and allow light to go through. So it amplifies the, like the presence of the Alzheimer's molecules, I guess, or the affected molecules. And it's almost kind of like how just an indicator will change color in the presence of whatever it is you're trying to detect. Mm -hmm. So in this case, because it's, it, you usually need like a very strong, like electron microscope or that kind of thing. This one can just use a regular kind of like light microscope or however you want to call it. And you'll be able to detect it because liquid crystals are reacting to that presence, but without it, you wouldn't be able to tell. So I guess the whole thing is that, it's not that you couldn't detect the Alzheimer's before, but it was a lot more expensive and an intensive process too. Okay. Whereas now you can just use a regular, you know, lab microscope type thing. And if, you know, the light comes through the, the LCD then, or the liquid crystal membrane, then you know that you've got some, but you've potentially got some Alzheimer's present mm -hmm. in whatever sample you have. And then you can probably do further tests, you know, the more intensive tests once you've already kind of detected it and you can analyze it further instead of going through the expensive detection and time intensive detection to not find anything. Right. So it's, it's kind of almost like a first, first pass at the detection process. So, huh. um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They said that the, uh, yeah, that this liquid crystal molecule called 5CB, they consider it the fruit fly of liquid crystal research because of how well studied it is. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so you can apply chemicals to this film that changes the alignment of the molecules that cha that blocks the passage of light. Right. Um, so, yeah, so you have, it says floating on top of the film was a memory made of the molecules that would potentially have Alzheimer's affecting them. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that was water into which the scientists inject the, the molecules that, that form the toxicity or whatever. Okay. Um, so I know I, I found it interesting how you're, you're trying to amplify the effect of the presence of the Alzheimer's using this liquid crystal that kind of allows you to just use a more kind of granular test. Yeah, but I don't know. It's it. I don't think there's a whole lot, you know, to like repercussion wise. This is more. It's cool that you're able to kind of use something as simple as liquid crystals to do this. And I guess it's kind of one of those minor steps in research that probably doesn't mean anything except to people who do Alzheimer's research. But right. if it can free up lab time and, and make it less expensive, then that can only be good for for the industry. I'd say. Yeah, for sure. So the the point of this test uh is that the they were they like they weren't actually looking at Alzheimer's but they were looking at an analog of the way they were looking for like these clusters of material that would form in an Alzheimer's patient's brain. That's the way I'm seeing yes. it. Yes. I yeah, okay, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of what I was Getting at yeah, so the molecules are affected by Alzheimer's, and yeah, I guess they're they're using analogs to show what an affected molecule would look like. Hmm. Cool. 
and it it's cheaper and it's very effective apparently for, at least from the testing you've done i'm very intrigued yeah and yeah and i think yeah it's the biggest thing is that it's a fraction of the cost like yeah. that's that's kind of the biggest the biggest aspect of this like it's not that they couldn't detect it before it's just this is a much easier and and cheaper way to do it cool yeah all right um i'm gonna go back to some car news how do you feel about that i'm down with that <laughs> nice so uh tesla announced uh, actually elon musk announced via twitter as he so often does that tesla is coming out with a new version of their car software uh on this thursday the 15th with uh something they've been beta testing for a few weeks or a few months uh pretty widely well not pretty widely a few hundred cars apparently um so what they're calling autopilot which is basically their highway self-driving software so tesla owners apparently come this week which this seems this seems crazy this is like wait it's only 2015 why are we self-driving already yeah um but so on the highway you'd be able to go into autopilot mode and i know there are different car companies that are testing this but uh it would know it would recognize the lines on the highway and allow you to basically take um uh, cruise control one step further and it, it will actually steer for you on the highway as well but the idea being that there tends to be more distance between cars there tends to be wider highways and so it's right. a lot easier for for self-driving cars to actually do the work of driving on a highway than it would be in a city hmm. i'm very intrigued to see how this works and how people react to it because like i said it seems way too fast <laughs> i don't think we're ready is he even allowed to release a self-driving function in a vehicle on the highway yes really yeah that was that's one of the hmm. things that they're able to do interesting i know i've read other technologies that use the highway lines like the road lines yeah. to self-drive they i don't know if they self-drive but they certainly alert you if you leave yeah the lane. yeah they'll keep you in your lane yeah, yeah. Hmm. that's cool because there's things like uh, the Lexus from a couple of years ago, even now, that could self-park. Like th there are features that yeah. will allow it to work, but the, I think this is definitely taking it the furthest that I've seen. Hmm. Okay, Nick, if you're listening, when we go test drive our Teslas, we will be taking them on the highway and using the autopilot mode. Perfect. <laughs> we will. <laughs> I'll mark this down so it can be like, Nick, just start listening right here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued also because that it, it seems like the kind of thing that should be regulated and not be allowed, but they're, they're going for it. Yeah. I guess there, there are probably certain, you still have to have a driver in the driver's seat, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of thing that it would be very abrupt in telling you we're taking over now, but it's very, very easy. Like tap the brake, take like turn the wheel a little bit. This setting will turn off immediately. But I'm very intrigued to see how this uh, how this is received when it kicks in, especially yeah. because it's one of those over the air things where like you go to sleep. Apparently, it also has a design overhaul for the car, for the uh, UI of the the interface in okay. the car. But uh, 
very intrigued to see how people react to their cars. I guess they're probably used to it if they have a Tesla, but going like shutting it off one night, plugging it in, going to bed, waking up and finding a totally new interface. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, by the way, I also drive on the highway myself now. Yeah. So for the Tesla mobiles, do you have to connect it to Wi-Fi? It connects to Wi-Fi, I believe. Like it would connect to your home Wi-Fi. So, but you'd have to be in range of it, like yeah, yeah, okay. Because if someone has like a back stall or they park on the street, mm-hmm. you might not have a very strong connection. It, they might there. not. That's yeah. true. I think if you have a Tesla, you have a garage that gets pretty good Wi-Fi reception, though. I'd have to. Yeah, believe. I'd probably want to keep my Tesla in a garage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how people receive that and. Because I know I've seen articles published where people took test drives of self-driving cars on the highway doing these, but they're sort of demo things, and it's not just everyday drivers doing it. So I'm I'm intrigued. But I'm sure people had these same conversations, although probably not on the internet when cruise control was first announced. It's, right. Wait, what right, do you mean right. I just hit this button and then my car keeps going the same speed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool because my – our Yaris, because we bought the second – vehicle once maria started working and it actually has cruise control and we'd never had a cruise control Mm -hmm. vehicle before so i was impressed that an economy you know little car like a yaris would have cruise control so yeah i haven't had a chance to try it out yet because i don't drive on the long stretches of highway right like you have deerfoot but yeah you don't have much cruise control (laughs) yeah you don't have cruise control on that go in the middle of the night maybe yeah no pretty much yeah yeah (laughs) uh okay so tell me about this app that I know nothing about people. What is it? You're asking me what are people? What is people? Spelled P E E P L E. So this is actually kind of more on the tail end of the kerfuffle that it caused. Mm-hmm. But a couple of weeks ago, this app called People, I think. People for people is what they market themselves as. It's they they call it a Yelp for people, hmm. in the sense that other people rate their fellow friends, neighbors, coworkers, business owners, what have you, and so you can add a rating for anyone. So I could I could add Rob onto this app or this site and say this guy is a total dink he is he's i could say whatever i want about you Mm -hmm. and you would have so i think it would you'd have to put in you i'd have to put in your phone number so i'd have to know your phone number okay and once i put that phone number in it, it would text you what i posted about you okay but you wouldn't have any ability to take this review off the internet and anyone can sign you up. You don't have to approve you you being put on there. It would just let you know, Hey, someone reviewed you. Yeah. That that's how this app was originally going to work. And obviously people, people like P E O P L E people were kind of taken aback and outraged at just how someone would even want to come up with something like this. <laughs> fair enough um but everyone like the creators are like oh well people judge pe- judge each other anyway they talk badly about each other anyway so why not make a platform for it 
Okay. So that so that other people can be made aware of, you know, if you're going to hire a babysitter or, you know, someone to mow your lawn or a teacher, you can go on there and see what people say about them. But the mm-hmm. whole idea is that you can very quickly kind of defame and just say mean and potentially untrue things about other people. Right. So people were talking about this for a while and everyone and their dog were saying how of a bad, how much of a bad idea it was. These guys or these two ladies that came up with the app, they went on various news shows to talk about it, you know, why they chose to do it, whatever. And this past week they decided to change their approach to the app. And now they're saying that you won't be on the platform without your permission. There is no 48-hour waiting period to remove negative comments because I guess before, I guess maybe before there was a way to ask for a negative comment to be rev- to be taken off if mm-hmm. it wasn't untrue or overly mean, I guess. Okay. Um, apparently there isn't even any way to make a negative comment. So now unless you say, yeah, I, I approve this comment to be posted about me, it won't be posted. Huh. Which makes the app kind of not really necessary and fairly pointless right like it takes away the entire purpose of it to begin with so now all it would be is just a way to post nice things about people right like i guess like it's it's good that you can have a place to put nice things but now it can just be a yelp but without bad reviews (laughs) yeah which isn't really helpful right (laughs) so I don't know. It's, I think this is kind of the beginning of the end of hearing about this thing. Sure. But I, I had been seeing this kind of talked about quite a bit on Twitter, not so much on Facebook. I'm surprised, but Twitter was quite buzzing with the news of this app. And now they've decided to kind of backtrack on it. And I think everyone's kind of like, well, why are you just, why why even do this like right you'd think you'd do market research before going and putting out this app or at least kind of figuring out if it was a good idea or not by talking to a couple people maybe yeah. i don't know so anyone or sorry this this app hasn't even launched yet no it's in beta still okay uh, yeah i don't see it going very far no unfortunately for them yeah and yeah, I I don't know. It's it was just one of those things. It's like, what were you thinking? Kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's like, and then other people were saying, "Oh, how much? You know, I'd put money on this being just a huge social experiment that they're going to come out and say, oh, it's just a social experiment where you're going to see, you know, what people's reaction would be and whatever.' And they're probably you know two psychology doctorates that are going to write a paper on it or something stupid like that. <laughs> I don't know. You never know, right? But that's that's kind of what people are saying now is like, oh, this is probably just so, some big social experiment, mm. which it sounds a lot more plausible that, of that than being an actual business idea. Yeah, not a business, maybe an app idea, but certainly not a business. idea. Well, an app is a business idea. I, or, it is. But yeah, anyways. Yeah. That's a whole other discussion about yeah. the nature of making money off of projects. But yeah. So yeah. I think it probably goes without saying or asking, but. 
would you like what do you think of this app or the idea of it if the idea of it in principle like it kind of seems like like linkedin allows you to make recommendations for people uh facebook you can write positive things about someone and if you write a negative thing about someone they will remove it you can have it set up so that it actually doesn't show up until like if you're tagged in it doesn't show up on your profile until you approve it yeah it seems like any every idea this network has already exists like there there are things for specific professions things like uh rate your professor yeah com yeah that allows you to leave ratings for people yeah Yeah, better business bureau for for business owners yeah right yeah well i mean for businesses there's stuff like i mean even google has a rating system and there's yelp and there's all kinds of different things like that i think zagat has ratings too that people can can post post reviews and post ratings yeah it just seems unnecessary given that all these things it doesn't have anything that stands out as making it better or different than them just the same yeah and i think unless you are a business owner or like yeah an employee who yeah is on linkedin looking for recommendations there's no reason to rate people like as a friend like yeah i don't know if i'm gonna be your friend i'm gonna look you up on this app first to see what kind of person you are like that doesn't make any sense because that's very subjective and it's like oh this person's a dink but you could get (laughs) along really well with that person right yeah self-censoring is wonderful <laughs> is is dink not okay no it's fine <laughs> i think you could be a little more explicit and it'd still be fine I, naturally I, i'm not that explicit that's as no, I explicit know. as i, I get <laughs> yeah it's it's totally fine keeping a pg here yeah any other uh any other stuff on people or should we get into the space news no i think that's that's pretty much it just okay it was, it was fun hearing about you while you're there and look forward to the uh, op-ed on this social experiment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the first piece of space news you had in here was about the Rosetta Comet. We've learned a bit yes. more about it. Yeah. I, it was kind of, a, again, another minor piece of news, but it was kind of interesting. I didn't even realize it was an active piece of research, I guess. Like everyone's kind of familiar with that crazy shape that Rosetta is the duck shape yeah. or whatever you want to call it double lobe yeah the double lobe and i guess people are the scientists were trying to figure out how it got that shape and they were able to take i think it was images or i don't know if it's radar uh yeah just images i guess they took that they're able to see layers mm-hmm. distinct layers in the two lobes and he says that this, uh, the scientist I was giving this quote, I don't have his name right off the top of my head here, but he was saying that they, th- they think that these layers extend for several hundred meters below the surface. Okay. So they each have their own core, so to speak, versus having a common core where the layers built out in that lobe shape like that. Mm-hmm. So they each form their lobes or their, their shapes like this and then claw them together. Versus having a core that looked like this and then grew out like that. Yeah. If that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what types of images you're looking at because you'd think they need some sort of sonar, radar type, like penetrating imaging 
Yeah. But I, I don't know if that's what they used. Or like seismic imaging or that kind of thing. But because hmm. I, I couldn't I couldn't tell anything from the link. Right. What type of imaging they, it was. The guy's name is Matteo Massaroni. I know okay. that much. There you go. Some Italian guy. <laughs> it does sound very Italian. But yeah, it seems like you'd need some kind of, I guess it. Um... Yeah, like th- th- they are actually showing. So th- on that link, they have images. Yeah. And it looks like, oh, okay. Yeah. So it looks like they're just like outcrops of okay. the layers. And they can see kind of the layering on each lobe. So it's, it's mm-hmm. not, yeah, so it's not a penetrated image where they're looking below the surface. These are surface images where there's layers visible the same way if you had like a canyon or a mountain, you could see the layers right. on Earth, right? So these are the same kind of thing. And they're kind of looking at the strikes and the dips of the layers and they're kind of going away from each other and, and all this kind of stuff. So I guess they just kind of figure that that's their best guess. Or hypothesis, okay. I guess, is that, yeah, there are two separate space materials that glom together and form this this comet. So hmm. It looks like uh, OSIRIS is, it stands for Optical Spectrograph and Infrared Imager System, which is the, the instrument they used. Okay. So it's spectroscopy, basically. Infrared and optical spectrography. Okay. But I think they're still looking at the surface only, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it, that's yeah. the surface, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, that's a, a little mystery solved, I guess. And it's fun to hear Rosetta coming back in the news. Like, yeah. You, you hear about it, and everyone's excited about it, and then you kind of forget about it, and then you hear about it again. So, same thing, I guess, one of the other stories you have is about Pluto. I don't know if we're Yeah, no, that's, that's up next. Yeah. yeah. Space corner. <laughs> but, so, on this on this comet thing... One of the things that humans have such a hard time thinking about is how different it is when there's no or very low gravity. Like when you think about two comets hitting each other, you think like violent explosions. You think like Armageddon type events. Yeah. Yeah. But if they're if they're moving along side by side, microgravity can bring them together very, very slowly. So it's just like if you've ever had two marbles on a carpet or something or two marbles on a bed sheet, like the they'll kind of navigate towards one another, but very slowly. And they just kind of like touch together and end up stuck together. Like marbles obviously are a good example because they're made of glass and they'll just kind of ricochet off one another. But <laughs> if you had like two dust balls, they would just kind of like come together. And that's basically what comets are. They're big dust balls. Right. Yeah. It's, and I guess just the gravity. Cause I, I guess you can't tell from the images if that, middle joining part is like a solid right thing or if it's just material that's kind of between it yeah but yeah i think that's a good and i think the the bedsheet analogy is actually a lot more accurate than people might think because that's yeah. kind of how gravity works gravity yeah <laughs> space time yeah <laughs> yeah all right uh so what's the other space story you have this is another kind of cool thing, and we're hearing about Pluto again, that they got images from New Horizons on Charon, its moon, and they're seeing that there's a contrast in kind of the top and bottom halves of the moon. And 
on one there's it's very cratery, it's rough, and on the lower half it's very smooth. And it looks like there was evidence of water kind of seeping into the moon's underneath the moon's surface and then freezing and then splitting the surface open and allowing magma to come up and become lava and kind of smooth over this lower half of the moon. And it's, yeah, it basically shows that there's volcanic activity on this, this moon of, of Pluto, right? which is really cool. Cause I, I think from, from my perspective, I don't think of moons as, you know, geologically active. Things, sure. Of course. Right. So it's, it's kind of cool. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that Charon had, you know, molten material in its mm-hmm. core or underneath the surface. So it's it's really cool. And like in the images on this this link, you can actually see that contrast. It's, it's quite distinct. And it looks like something happened. It wasn't just, oh, that's just kind of a uh like a an exception to what the rest of the surface is like. This is a very distinct feature of yeah. the moon um so i i don't think there's any immediate kind of consequences of this discovery but it's it's just more kind of learning about it and learning about what we can and can't expect yeah from things like moons yeah for sure it, it it's really interesting to see for me looking at this new data from all these new I guess extraplanetary bodies that we've seen is that they're they have remarkably similar structural kind of activity to Earth, but in their own context. So, like you have cryovolcanism because it's not it's obviously not hot, but there's right. still there's still activity like geologic activity. It's very similar to the kind of thing you would see on Earth. It's it's very neat to see. Yeah, I guess looking at it now. It- they they called it the the link called it water based lava, mm-hmm. which is weird. Which is, which is not accurate at all because <laughs> to me, like lava is its own thing. There's yeah. no such thing as water based lava. It, at it's least like I, an, it's like an analogy almost. Yeah, it's like lava, but it's water, and I think yeah. that's what they probably should have said it as. Because I was thinking, like, what does that even mean? Like, because lava can have like water in it. Like when 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 a volcano when it, the magma comes up, it can pick up water as it comes yeah. through the geology and have vapors and water in it. So I think that's what I thought when I read that term. But looking at that Wikipedia link that's in that article, it looks like it's a cryovolcano erupts water, ammonia, and methane, not molten rock. Right. So this is actually. I'll correct myself before because I was thinking this was actually like magma that was coming up, but it's mm-hmm. not. I was more excited when I heard it was magma. This isn't as. <laughs> but it's, it's not, very cold, so it could be and probably is a lot more viscous than you expect from. Oh yeah, for sure, and it's, it's enough to resculpt. Yeah. Parts of the moon, but it's not. It's not like there's a magma layer in the mo- in this moon. It's, yeah. It's just the water that came underneath the surface froze and then came back up after it split itself open so mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's cool to to like this is like out in pluto this is nowhere near earth and we're able to have these high resolution images and see these features 
Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, all right. Let's go back to Earth for a little while. And uh, I just wanted to talk. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the news that Facebook announced they were rolling out different options to like a post other than just a thumbs up. And uh, so what, what do you what do you think about this? Do you have any thoughts at I, all? Because I got some thoughts, but. I think I'd rather have it be like a dislike downvote. Well, maybe not downvote button because downvote's kind of different. Mm-hmm. I think it's very unnecessary. But I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts on it. So when I first saw this, when I first saw their implementation of what is going to end up being called the dislike function, because you can give a reaction other than a thumbs up to like something, is that it's very much like reaction emoji that show up that showed up in Slack, and you can now do things like uh, in Facebook Messenger. Well, in Facebook Messenger, you can post okay. stickers that. Uh, give various reactions in twitter you can now in direct messages you can post giant emojis like it everyone's trying to kind of getting in on the reacting with something that isn't words kind of thing and i think it's i I think it's fine i like the idea of being able to categorize like sometimes obviously and that's the reason for this feature in the first place is someone can type something into facebook.com in the status bar hit post and your reaction isn't, I like this. Like there are other emotions you can have. There are other feelings that can go through your mind. And I think that it's f- to give people more options. Like if, if you hear that somebody has like is getting divorced or you hear someone died or a pet died or something like that, you don't, you're not going to hit like, but you still want to be like, you still want to empathize with that person. So like if, if you get a promotion at work and you post about it, obviously people are going to click like, cause that's. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. empathy in a positive light. But what if you have want empathy, but in a, a not necessarily strictly positive light? But you still want to show support for that person. I, I think it's, I think it's fine. I, I think it's, it's fine. Good, it'll yeah. work out well. It'll help them. It's it's funny because with the Facebook uh, memories that they have now, where they'll mm-hmm. say on this day, whatever. I'll go back and the ones from, you know, three or four years ago before they came out with a like button. There's yeah. like no interaction at all. <laughs> but then you look at the more recent ones and something will have 13 likes and no comments or yeah. 10 likes and two comments. Whereas before it'd be no comments and two comments. Mm. So you think that no one's noticing or no one's has any sort of feeling about it because no one's going to comment and just be like, oh, LOL. or that's cool or right. that kind of thing, right? So the like button gave that way to say, hey, I saw this and I think it's whatever. But yeah, I can I can see how the different emotions might offer a wider variety of reactions than just like kind of almost like a red receipt type, mm-hmm. type thing, right? I think this gives it a bit more variety. But the options that were in that kind of image that or the examples, I don't Is that all that's going to be there? Uh- it seems like that was at least the debut. I agree that it seemed kind of narrow. Yeah. There was, was one like, sadness one and then yeah. Angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, I don't want people, I don't want like yeah. a disappointed one mm-hmm. or a shocked one. I don't yeah. know if there was a surprise surprised, yeah. yeah. But I agree. I you'd want some sort of wider range of of options, but 
Yeah. Cause I, and I think what I heard or what people were thinking is that they'd all be registered as likes. So it'd say however mm-hmm. many likes, but oh, okay. then on, off to the side, it would show the breakdown of breakdown. the likes, I think. Yeah. That, that's really tough to keep track of algorithmically. Like having to track if, if they want to show you who did each of which. Oh, that's what I mean. Thing. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't think it's going to show, oh, so-and-so thought this was, you know, angry or whatever. I think it's going to show them all as likes and then it'll show a breakdown of the distribution. So you wouldn't be able to see who, like if you, if you posted some, like that you failed a class, yeah, you would be able to see that some, these people reacted to it, yeah. but you wouldn't know who like right. was liking it and who right. was sad. Right. So you can almost like troll people by like, <laughs> <laughs> I hope they don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. There's like no accountability, or at least what people are thinking. There'd be no accountability on who clicked which one. But right, I hope that I hope that's not how they do it. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> but I am. I, I. What I really want more than anything is like tech companies. When you announce some feature, let us use it. Like you don't have to switch it on for everyone, but have a a little menu. Like this is this is an open statement to all tech companies. When you announce something publicly and you're like, we're going to be rolling it out over the next few weeks. If people want to try it out, go give them an option to try it. Right. Don't let have them wait for the rollout. I hate that so yeah. much. Like have an option in settings under account settings or under whatever, where it's like, like Gmail has with the labs. Just have like, turn on reaction emoji. Like right. turn it on. Just let me have it if you've announced right. it. Let me be a beta tester. Let me try it first. Right. I think we talked about that though. I, maybe in we a did. Previous but... episode. We talked about beta testing and early adoption. And I think we figured that because companies want to have some level of control over who they're presenting these new features to, like user types, mm-hmm. that if they just let, you know, the eager people sign up for it, you're not going to get a representative yeah, but user let, base. Let it roll out. By all means, like have a slow rollout, but also give people who really want to try it the option to just go and try it. Otherwise, I'm going to read about it a week later when it shows up. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, now I can do that. I like I lose all my excitement for it. Right. When I at the first thing when I read something like this, I'm like, did I get it yet? Did I get Twitter moments? Right. Can I go look? And I'm like, nope, I can't. I, can't I haven't either. It. If that makes you feel better. It doesn't. It makes me feel worse. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to someone who's tried it. Yeah. I, I was able to click on the moments links. I was, yeah, I was able to when click, someone, but it opened in the web. Yeah. Yeah. Annoying. Very annoying. Anyways, that's the end of my letter. Uh, the next story I have here, this is something I just saw last night, so I haven't looked too much into it, but I just thought it was really interesting. Uh, this article from Discover Magazine called Elephant, Elephants Rarely Get Cancer, Now We Know Why talking about potential and this would be a potential treatment or cure for cancer kind of down the line but it seems at least like it would apply broadly to several types like it applies to cancer as a thing as opposed to a a, having a cure for one type of cancer uh and so it's this thing apparently it has a name called pedo's paradox after the the epidemiologist who popularized the theory or not the theory but the this Thing that has been put forth that larger animals have lower instances of cancer and that's weird because larger animals the larger you are the bigger your cell the more cells you have and 
you right. would think the more cells you have, the more potential you have to for one or two individual cells to mutate and cause cancer. Well, I know larger dogs typically have higher rates of health issues. Right. And cancer being one of them, I think. Mm-hmm. I think either, especially large and especially small dogs. Right. Kind of both ends of the spectrum will have more health issues usually, mm-hmm. I think. But yeah, I, th- I know large animals definitely will have higher rates. Yeah. So I think that the thing, the thought is not as like within, within, you're going to see spe- uh, variations within a species, but I think that as a whole, animals that are on average larger, le- things like hippopotami, uh, horses, <laughs> moose, Did you just say hippopotami? That's the word. That's what it's called. Uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> so an animal like an elephant, an elephant is an example they use. So I'm going to use it too. Um, they should mathematically have much higher cancer incidences and they don't. And they're, they've discovered that they have a much, uh, they have a gene that basically is very careful about killing off cells that are damaged. And where we have people, humans have two copies of this gene, normal humans. There, there are, um, people that have, uh, Okay, would you call it a disease? They have a genetic uh, predisposition because they to cancer because they only have one copy of this gene. And elephants, it turns out, have <laughs> they have forty copies of this gene. They have the two ones that same ones that humans have, and they have thirty eight other variations wow. of the same gene that kills off vi- like preemptively. It's called apoptosis, programmed cell death. Uh, that can kill off cells that could turn cancerous because they're damaged in some way. And so they theorize that maybe that's why, uh, that it was just this kind of thing that, uh, that would cause this gene that would cause the, the cells to die. And that is like having runaway, uh, damaged cells that go on to divide really quickly and cause tumors. That's what causes basically all like all the big cancers that's what causes Mm. it so if you could somehow block this through a genetic mutation it would be super helpful and presumably it's easier for it to develop for genes like this to develop in larger creatures because it would need to develop quickly because as you get large you would have a bunch of cells and would develop a cancer and so only, the only elephants that would survive were ones that had a mutation where they had a bunch of the, those copies yeah. of that gene so it makes complete sense from an evolutionary perspective that larger animals would do that over time like obviously the first yeah. a- animals to get the larger or, or individual big dogs wouldn't have have that gene because it's just one thing like there's no right. there's no species of giant dog that is always giant there they're within a range. Obviously, there are dogs like Great Dane that are larger than the yeah. Chihuahua, but when there's not enough, there's not breeding, genetic variation in dogs, and there's not enough. Yeah, and there's not enough breeding and yeah generations to actually allow evolution to take place like that. Exactly. No. no yeah. Exactly. So dogs are base. Dogs are all one species, uh, and they like they can all breed with one another. So that we've only been really breeding specific breeds of dogs that are larger or smaller for like 100, 200 years. There's not been enough time for gene changes to happen on that kind of scale. Yeah. Well, and elephants, relative to other current animals, have been around for quite a while. Yeah. Like, even in the form of, like, mammoths, I don't know how 
like they're fairly closely related if not the same they're at least cousins um but i'm sure the evolution even started back when the mammoths were were prevalent and mm-hmm. kind of split off as elephants at some point in the, the evolutionary chain right so yeah thousands of years tens of thousands of years versus a couple hundred years not not favorable for the dogs <laughs> yeah exactly so the the whole point of this research with the this p53 gene uh that they've given it to or they i guess they've they're just using cells um mouse cells that have extra copies of this gene seem to have have so far been developing seeming to develop extra cancer resistance compared to cells that don't have the extra genes uh they're looking at taking the the p53 gene and putting it into these uh cells of these people that have these genetic deficiencies where they only have one copy of the gene to see if that helps them uh and so they're hoping that there's a way that if you can find some kind of drug that mimics the effect, because the the gene, the P53 gene that they're talking about very specifically targets cells that already, it's already pre-programmed to only affect cells that are damaged in a way that would cause cancer. And so when we have drugs, we're always looking for these drugs and we end up with chemotherapy drugs that basically just kill every cell, but kill the ones that have cancer slightly better and so you're trying to basically stay alive until you can turn off this thing that just kills pretty indiscriminately but if you have a gene that can do it very selectively but just better because obviously you'd rather lose an extra one percent of your cells to program cell death as a precaution than you would to develop any tumors like you you'd rather have a false negative and kill off one cell out of your trillions than you would to develop a cancer And so if you could put in copies of this P53 gene, it would, assuming it works the way they think it will in humans or in other species, the way it does in larger uh, things like elephants, it seems like it's just waiting. Like, why would it not work? It it seems like it should work. So I'm I'm really interested to see how this kind of thing goes because I hadn't really heard about how elephants get cancer less than you'd expect for given their size. Yeah. I've only so ever heard that they don't forget. That's <laughs> yes. kind of my one elephant fact. They don't forget cancer. That's Oh, that's <laughs> You didn't that's hear the rest of the saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, uh so I saw this uh Reddit's new site launched, but you uh you put it in here. What what did you want to say about Reddit's new uh news site? I thought it was a good idea. I've mm-hmm. always, I've only ever come across Reddit threads when they're posted on Twitter or Facebook as, hey, check out this thread. It's pretty funny or interesting or someone's doing it, ask me anything mm-hmm. and I'll check it out. But I find the format of Reddit to not be great for my okay. own tastes. It's very broken and scattered. Like if you read the first couple posts that are highly upvoted, then they're usually fine. But to have to filter through all the comments that are replying to various things, like it's hard to follow sometimes. And sometimes I just want to get the gist of the story and reactions, but not in the format that Reddit presents in its typical kind of threaded format. So I think with this new site that they're, or the page that they're starting called upvoted, is it a new site? Yeah, it's a totally separate site. With this, where they're taking Reddit stories or posts 
and putting it into a format similar to, you know, it's to, I guess, to preface, this is to compete with sites like BuzzFeed or uh, Upvotable or whatever sites that take content and repurpose it and make it go viral. Mm -hmm. This upvoted uh, initiative is trying to do that for its own content because Reddit wants to get those page views. They don't want to have BuzzFeed take all the Reddit content and get the traffic from it. So I think I would actually read this upvoted site if it's presented in that format where it's easily digestible. And it sounds like they'll do interviews with the author of the Reddit post Mm -hmm. and, you know, possibly various commenters or contributors as well and make it in a very readable format. Versus just reading a thread. Like, I have nothing against threaded content. Right. It's just not something that I could sit and read for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I will read Deadspin sometimes. And, like, the various articles that they have on there. And then I'll go down to the comments section, read the first couple comments. And then it's kind of a lost cause after that. Yeah. Um, so I think this this is a good idea. And I I would definitely give it a shot. To to be able to have the the Reddit content presented in that way, yeah. Now I know you use Reddit or have used Reddit quite I, a bit. I like it, but it's mostly like when Twitter's out, when Facebook's out, when Google Plus is out. Like when I when I have slurped everything I can out of the other services, I go to Reddit to see what what else is going on. Okay. And so, what the way I end up looking at it is probably the same way i would use a site like up the reason a site like upvoted would be great is that i look for things that i might find interesting on this on the front page or on specific subreddits i like i click i read the thing or i watch the gif or whatever and then i go look at the top comment see if it's relevant or interesting and then i close that first comment and i go to the second comment the second highest one like i don't the threading is only good for for so much and then it kind of devolves into inside jokes and yeah exactly repeats of the format of the previous comment like i can only go so far so i read the top few comments or if if it's someone like asking a question i read the top few answers but uh this kind of site like i've i've visited a couple times since it launched and it wasn't as interesting to me as reddit but i think reddit works really well because you curate your homepage. So I think Upvoted has a way to go in terms of customizing things for people. I haven't looked into too much whether you're able to customize it yourself, whether you're able to turn on different feeds for different subjects, but right. I'm interested to see if that kind of thing happens because I think that's fundamental to how Reddit works is that everyone has different interests. So you can't just go to upvoted.com or whatever it is. Like, I think that's probably what the URL is <laughs> and see the things that are most important to you. You would see the things that are most important to the editors of of upvoted right and they may yeah. not align yet and i'd imagine they'd rely on their moderators yeah to identify content if not even generate that the articles mm-hmm. but i think to at least have the moderators send the links to the thread say hey this would make a good a good upvoted piece or that kind of thing so that you are hopefully getting a good array of interest yeah. versus just, yeah, like I, yeah, like you said, you can't really pick 
something for everyone. You'd hopefully yep. be able to have a good range of topics. If if you could log in to Reddit and then it would kind of use your interests to show <laughs> you important things, I think it'd be better. But right. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so that's that's upvoted. Go check it out. It is upvoted.com. Is it live and right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. It launched this week. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. So check it out myself. It does seem it seems interesting, but I'm interested to see how they do customization per person rather than just having one site that everyone can see, which is the way they're doing it now. Yeah. Uh all right, you have a story here which is around we're we're wrapping up now. So you have the story called Wonks for Hire. I I did not look into this at all, but I'm interested to hear what what's going on. <laughs> it's I don't know. They use the term wonks as if it's an actual thing because they say that same word in the actual article. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's like slang or something <laughs> slang or just a way to call someone. But yeah, it's essentially talking about and we've alluded to it before how companies will put out studies. But they're not unbiased studies like or right. or there's papers, but they're funded by whoever. Like, so that's kind of what this is kind of talking about how, and the, the main topic of it is a financial organization that hired an academic professional, like a doctorate to write a paper against Obama's initiative to protect consumers against some, something like say predatory lending, as an example, I don't think that was the exact Mm -hmm. thing, but say a bank hired Dr. Schlangenberg to write a paper saying, oh, you know, lambasting the Obama government for trying to pass these laws when it's not explicitly stated in the paper that he was being paid by this company to write it. Right. Um, And these papers, they're released in media that aren't required to be peer reviewed. They're not they're not upheld to any sort of standards, but they have that doctor's name attached to it to give it that legitimacy but it's being paid for by people who have interests in either for or against what the paper's talking about. Right. And I just thought it was interesting that this is now like, it's a federal political issue. It's Elizabeth Warren, who's been, you know, of Stephen Colbert fame. Yeah. Probably even John Stewart, maybe I'm sure she's been on all those shows. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's been kind of one of the more outspoken uh, political figures and kind of, anti-status quo, so mm-hmm. to speak. And this is just kind of another one of those things where it's like, well, it shouldn't be like this. People should be, A, aware that this paper is being funded by this company, you know, at least explicitly. It might be buried somewhere in the footnotes or that kind of thing. But, and it just shouldn't be allowed because that's not not good. That's not ethical to have these these companies having like trying to attach a doctor's name to give something legitimacy when it's completely, when they're basically telling the doctor, we want a paper to say this. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what this is about. There isn't, there isn't much of a story to it per se, but it's more just awareness that this kind of stuff is going on. And we've, we've talked about, you know, when we're talking about a paper and it sounds like it might be funded by someone or, you know, we'll kind of try to, look into it a little bit more to see if there's anything that might affect the bias of yep. some sort of research. 
Um, so mm. like, I don't think there's much we can do as, as public other than kind of be tuned in and have our BS detectors active and just go with that extra step to see if it's being funded by someone. Um, like I know in, in oil and gas, that's a big thing as well, because a lot of companies will put out studies or, or research funded by, you know, Exxon on fracking or that kind of thing. And that's not to say that anything funded by a company with interests is automatically bad, mm-hmm. but you need to take it with a grain of salt and, and do a bit more due diligence into looking at different sources for that yeah. research. Yeah. Well, you need to make sure they're not being paid to give the certain results that they, yeah, the funders right. want. Yeah. But I think there's always even going to be an inherent tendency for a researcher to try to get favorable results because they know that if they don't get the favorable yeah. results, they're not going to get any more funding. Right, but that's true of anything. It doesn't have to be industry-funded. Like You can get academically-funded research projects that where you try to get a favorable result. You try to get the result you want. Oh, and for the sure. whole point is like you have to subject it to peer review, yeah. and you have to be forthcoming and say, listen, this was funded by Kellogg's, and it's about the sugariness of breakfast cereals. So like, just be upfront about it, and then it's a lot easier to be like, no, I'm not biased. Like I'm telling you, this was funded by Kellogg's. It's about breakfast cereals. We get it. Um, but this is still research that I did. And I think it's interesting and valid. And here's, here's all the research I did. Um, make sure that it's not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the biggest things with this case is that this wasn't a peer reviewed paper at all. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, peer peer review is kind of a, a separate thing. And I think as long as it's peer reviewed, you'd have to be able to trust that it's legitimate research. Mm-hmm. Unless the peers are also getting kicked back right, part of the same is, industry. <laughs> yeah, which for all we know, they might. But. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah. Uh, okay, why don't we wrap up with one more story that you have here uh, from Royal Bank of Canada. Yeah, well, we've talked how Canadian banks are often... They're either the first to do something or the last. Yeah. They were first on board with NFC. They were first on board with the chip payments. Apple Pay. They're last on board with Apple Pay. (laughs) They're, yeah. So this is something, I had an experience where I called into a bank over the phone with an issue with my card. Uh, We were trying to temporarily increase the, uh, interact payment limit okay this is a bigger purchase mm-hmm. so we tried it wasn't working call the bank called in used my number to dial into the the automated system whatever got on with an operator and then they're like oh we're just gonna ask you a couple of security questions so i'm like okay sure like, that's fair just appreciate that so what's the what was the amount of the last deposit you made <laughs> and I'm i'm standing <laughs> in the middle of a store and i'm like <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> They're like, okay, we'll try a different one. And then it was, oh, what's the balance of whatever account? Oh man! And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just, I money goes in, money comes out. I don't right. like. I you don't, don't keep know. Like, track. And and Maria's the one that keeps track of all that stuff. So like, this is my card. So and we have a joint account. So I'm like, I'm asking her. I'm like, what's the balance? And like, oh, you can't ask anyone else. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> So I'm like, I, I, I don't know. And then they're like, okay, well, unfortunately we can't help you today. 
because I wasn't able to answer their security questions. So like, those are weird questions. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So then I'm like, okay, hon, like you call. Cause it's a joint account. So, so she was going to call. She calls and she's the secondary account holder. So okay. I'm the primary. So she's mm-hmm. the secondary. She calls in. Oh yeah. Blah, blah. Oh yeah. Okay. We'll increase it for you. Bye. <laughs> no security questions. No, nothing. Uh, and I'm like, are you serious? Like she's not even the primary account holder. Like that's so funny. And they're giving me the hard time, but side, that's more of a kind of a side story to this, that it is RBC is launching a voice based phone authentication for their customers. Right. So you'll essentially kind of call in, you'll set your, you'll register your voice signature is what they're calling it. I, that sounds like it's a thing. Yep. I, <laughs> I, I buy it. So you, you register that in, it gets encrypted into their system. So then whenever you call in, it will detect your voice signature. And within seconds, it will positively or negatively identify you as who you say you are, which is beautiful. That's, I, I want that. Right. I don't need security questions about the last thing I ate, you know, two weeks ago. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. I just trust me. I am who I say I am. I can see why they want to make sure that the right person is on the phone, mm-hmm. but it's good that now they're having these other kind of higher tech methods to, to verify that. Yeah. I'm very thankful they, for that. I'm intrigued again by this it, because the implementation details are so important. Uh, is this a, like a phrase that you say that it authenticates or do you read a bunch of words and then it can tell your voice print because yeah if it's a phrase that you say to to verify i've always wondered like that's so fakeable because you just record a person saying it oh right i see what you mean but if you need to if they randomly generate like correct horse battery staple and you have to say that those words and then (laughs) it it says it thank you and then it (laughs) says it properly uh and then it says you're in like that's that's fine right but at, th- at that point, the voice print seems like a more, it would need a bigger sample of your voice to actually tell how you're pronouncing all those different sounds or words. Yeah. Like it, when I hear voice print, it sounds like it's a Fourier transform of your voice to show the frequency yeah. distribution. Yeah. Like, and yeah, if, if you have a large enough sample with enough variation in frequencies that it can get a good reading on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it would have to be. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they do that. But they're saying they're storing the voice print on an encrypted server. So that's supposed to be good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it It is good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Please keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was reading, I guess, speaking of security and this kind of uh, an extra thing. But we talked about how Apple Pay does this, the unique code for every transaction. Yeah. Apparently, the tap and pay, and I think as well as the chip, does a similar thing. I read that somewhere and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. It's good to know if it does because it makes me feel better about it. Yeah. Like the swipe, it's the same swipe every time, but I think the chip and the NFC, like the tap and pay, it sounds like it's, it generates a unique transaction code every time. Yeah. When I'm at the grocery store these days and I, I'm noticing now that my visa tap to pay limit is up to like a hundred dollars or I've mm-hmm. been able to pay up to a hundred dollars and it just goes through. It, it does. It would make me feel better to know that there was a bit more security than just tapping the card. 
because that's a lot to just like tap away. Like I get that if, if someone took the card, they could still do that. But I mean, it's more security than just having the numbers and being able to just tap like the fact that it would generate a, another like a, a unique code. But I also really like like that becoming the future where that's all you ever have to do is something I'm looking forward to so much. The whole pin system versus even with the chip and everything, like obviously it's better than signing, but like the whole just being able to tap to pay for everything, that is so much faster, so much more efficient. You can You can actually have a system where when everyone is doing that, you can have restaurant setups. You don't even have to pay for things at the table table anymore you can just have a thing at the exit as you're walking out you go like oh here's my bill they enter it in and you tap and you leave yeah. like you don't it doesn't have to be this big long drawn out thing where everyone has to do separately like it's all very fast and they could almost be like if you have tap to pay you don't have to wait for me you can just go up to the front and pay and leave yeah really the whole idea of serving tables is quite outdated i think yeah it is it, i think it's going away pretty yeah. soon Having just having uh, like a tablet or something where you yep. notify them that you need water or you, you're ready to order or that you put in your order. <laughs> yeah. And someone would bring your food, obviously. That seems like the last yeah. thing to go, but. Yeah. I hate this of, idea yeah. like you get your food and something's wrong or you forget to ask for something and you have to wait for them to come back. Yeah. That's the worst. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah. Those are the worst times. Yeah, <laughs> they just don't. It's like, or it's like, oh, we need water. And then you wait like 15 minutes to get water. And it's like, by then you're done your meal pretty much. Yeah. And it's like, I, I've never done this, but I've always wanted to just as I'm like, cause I want to seem like this super high maintenance person that I would be in this scenario where I'm like, as I walk in, I'm like, I will give you an extra 5% on your tip. If I, my water glass always has water in it, <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> honestly, cause I, I get really thirsty yeah. when I'm at dinner and I just always want to have some water. Honestly, even better. Just bring a pitcher. Yeah, yeah, That's that too. What I love when you go to a breakfast restaurant, I don't know if they, I think they have it at some places, but in some places when you're in Disney, they'd bring just a craft of coffee to your table. Yeah, I've seen that. And I was like, this is amazing. I, <laughs> I would be like, every place should do this. I don't know why they wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. They, at some point, robots will replace all workers, and and that's yeah. going to be a thing. You can only hope. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for the day. Uh, we have been going on for about to hit two hours, so I think we're we're good to stop. Uh, do you have any last words before we go? Uh, I think we're good. I think Happy Thanksgiving to yeah, for sure Canadians and here in Canada and abroad and anyone who chooses to recognize Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, before we go, uh, thanks for listening. This episode, I'll let you know, is brought to you by audible.com. Uh, you can help out our show and get a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial, uh, by visiting audibletrial.com slash unwind. Uh, the service, uh, which has apps for iPhone and for Android has over 180,000 different audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from. And as I mentioned, you get one for free, uh, as well as a 30-day trial for free from audibletrial.com slash unwind. Uh, we'll be back here next week with more science and tech talk. Thanks, Mike, for joining me, as usual. Thank you. And uh, I'll let you know that you can find past episodes of the show and much more at unwindmedia.com slash future chat. See you guys next time. See you guys. <laughs>